Gracious Father, you are truly the one who is holy. And Lord, we are privileged, we are thankful that we can study your word, that you have revealed yourself in the scriptures so that we know who you are, that we know you are holy. Uh, And Lord, as we uh, take time to uh, listen, as we take time to contemplate, as we take time to taste and see that you are good this morning, uh, I pray that you would move in the minds and the hearts of your people today, uh, Lord, that they would walk away uh, truly in awe of the God who is holy. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, uh, and so far we have uh, been uh, enjoying uh, what the book of Ephesians has uh, given to us. Uh, Last time we finished up uh, part two of Blessed Be God, as we saw uh, from the the scriptures there in verse three, that we are to bless God because he is God, uh, but also that he is the God who blesses us. Uh, and that it is a uh, privilege to be blessed by the God uh, that can give us every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Uh, And for the next uh, section here, uh, as I told you uh, a couple weeks back as we were laying the foundation for verses 3 through 14, you remember that this is one sentence uh, in Greek. And so as we we take and we uh, look at this together, In order to understand God's sovereign plan of salvation, there's two things that uh, over the next uh, couple times that I preach to you need to be brought forth. Uh, Because in order for us to understand God's sovereign plan of salvation, in order for us to understand why we need a Savior, why we need salvation at all, first we need to understand that God is holy. And second, we need to see our sin. Uh, Because if we don't understand that God is holy and see our sin as God sees it, then we are going to get salvation wrong. Uh, We need to be able to see this from God's perspective. We need to see this through his eyes to help us see who we are apart from God and who we are in Christ. Uh, And so these next two sermons are going to lay the the foundation for us to be able to rightly understand God's sovereign plan of salvation. And today we're going to begin with uh, taking a look at the holiness of God. Uh, If you were unable to join us during Sunday school uh, over the last uh, months as Pastor Caden finished out uh, the attributes of God's study, uh, I encourage you to go back and listen to them online because you missed out. Because I believe today in our culture, I believe today in the church, that uh, the church often, more than not, has a wrong view of God. They do not see God's holiness. They do not see God as the one who is holy other. Uh, And as we take a look at the the biblical emphasis on the holiness of God uh, in the scriptures, which God has given to us so that we could know who he is, Holiness is one of the most prominent uh, attributes you will see. Matter of fact, each of all the rest of his attributes uh, are to be seen through this lens of holiness. Uh, And we'll get to this in a little bit, but God's holiness in relation to his love is a holy love. In relation to his grace is a holy grace. 
in relation to his wrath is a holy wrath. Uh, and you'll get the picture and we'll, we'll establish this in relation to the nature of his holiness. But the thing is, as we take a look at the Bible, uh, this is one attribute that has a very special uh, repetitiveness for us to understand that we need to stop. We need to stop looking at God through selfish eyes and begin to look at God through his eyes to understand God's sovereign plan of salvation. And so I begin in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, because John was given the ability to see a beautiful sight, to experience this beautiful sight. As he says uh, in an append under the inspiration of the Spirit, uh, in verse 8 of chapter 4, it says, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say. This is where you need to catch. This is where you need to listen. Because this is what the angels of heaven, this is what the seraphim are proclaiming in heaven about God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now I want you to stop for just a moment. Do you see God as holy? Do you see God as holy, holy? Do you see God as holy, holy, holy? This is the only attribute that is repeated three times. And that's for emphasis. That's for us to understand. It's for us to begin to, to see just how amazing and how great our God is. And the thing is, I think we lose sight of that. I think that the church has lost sight of the holiness of God. That doesn't mean that we, as those who have experienced redemption through Jesus Christ, uh, we, we have the ability to come and, uh, and speak to God as Abba, Father. But do not forget that that Father, right now in heaven, by the proclamation of the angels surrounding him and by those that have found themselves in the presence of God for all of eternity because of Jesus Christ, know the impact and the magnitude of the fact that God is holy, holy, holy. That should have a profound effect on you, particularly those that are believers in Jesus Christ today. Because there is a biblical emphasis on it, that it is repeated for us to, to know that this stands out amongst many things that speak to who God is. Not minimizing them, but drawing extra attention to this particular attribute. Listen to what R.C. Sproul says in his book, The Holiness of God. The Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. Not that he is merely holy, Or even holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. The Bible never says that God is love, love, love. Or mercy, mercy, mercy. Or wrath, wrath, wrath. Or justice, justice, justice. It does say that he is holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. See, when you think about the holiness of God, it should bring over your entire being a sense of awe and respect 
and reverence for the God who is. And for the God who is holy, holy, holy. If you want to get a magnitude of what this has done and what it is like to be in the presence of the Holy One, all you need to do is go to the Word of God. Because Isaiah had the privilege of experiencing this firsthand. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 5, we are given testimony to Isaiah uh, coming into the presence of the Holy One. It says there in verse 1, In the year of King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, So, again, drawing attention right to this moment, because of all things to proclaim, As to what is happening in heaven, this is what is repeated in multiple places. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And notice the effect of the proclamation of this truth. It says in verse 4, And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, and this is Isaiah, as he's taking all of this in, This is his his conclusion. This is where he found himself. Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Have you seen the King of the Lord of hosts? Have you found yourself at some point as you're opening up the word of God and you're spending time in in personal study that the word of God as it is living and active is spoken and you experience the magnitude of knowing the God who is holy? Isaiah did. As a matter of fact, he was overwhelmed by this glimpse of God's holiness that he became profoundly aware of of his own unclean and unworthy nature. See, Isaiah, at this moment, was not full of himself. He didn't look at his own significance and say, well, look at me, I'm a prophet of God. Isaiah's encounter did not boost his self-esteem. Instead, what it did is it put everything in perspective because God's holiness, which is holy, 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 brought him to a point where he had a sense of awe. The sheer majesty and glory of the Holy One of all, who is sitting on his throne, high and lifted up in his train of his robe, filled the temple. But it also filled him with a sense of fear, a godly fear, because of the sheer magnitude of a sinner in the presence of holiness. So that he says, woe is me. He was undone because the holiness of God, which is pure truth, which is purity in its purest form, spoke and lit into every dark corner of his mind, in every dark corner of his life, to reveal his sin, because that's what holiness does. When sinful man comes into the presence of holiness, he is undone. And he sees himself for who he truly is. That's at that moment when spiritual eyes are opened up so that man no longer elevates himself 
but instead sees the holiness of God himself. So what is holiness? If we defined holiness itself, because man would give a definition to holiness that really falls short of actually explaining what holiness is. Because we need to understand that holiness is not just being good. Holiness is not just being better than someone else. It is wrong for man to say that, well, God is just better than I am because he's God. You know, or God has certain privilege as the, the creator that I don't have, and so therefore he's just, you know, different than I am. He's better at being good than I am. And see, those definitions fall short of what holiness truly is. The Hebrew word here, uh, kodash, means to be holy, and the root of that uh, word, uh, kodash, actually means to cut or to separate. So that's how you need to see God. He is completely separate from sin because he is holy. He's not just holy. He's holy, holy, holy. And his holiness pierces into the deadest of hearts and helps them to see who they are in the presence of that holiness, that holiness that we've sung about that that opens up each and every one of us, to be able to see us through God's eyes. Psalm 77, 1 says, Your way, O God, is holy. And we've told, you know, I've communicated this, and so has Pastor Caden through Sunday school, that, you know, in relation to at the attributes of God, in relation to how we understand God as he is revealed to us in his word, every attribute is who God is. He is not becoming he is not morphing or changing because of, you know, the, the times and the ages of man as they progress that God has to change because somehow he didn't, you know, think or, uh, you know, become something he was not. These are all things that God is. He is holy. And nothing needs to change about that because it's perfect. God is immutable. He does not need to change. He does not need to get better. He does not need to get, you know, less of who he is. Because in perfection, he is those things. Listen to what R.C. Sproul said in relation to holiness as being defined. He says, when the Bible calls God holy, it means primarily that God is transcendently separate. He is so far above and beyond us that he seems almost totally foreign to us. And you know what? That is right on because he should seem foreign to us because our sin is what separates us from God who is holy. Because what does light have to do with darkness? What is good have to do with evil? See, God is completely separate. Sin is not part of who he is. And so us, as those who are sinful, that as we go all the way back to the fall in the garden in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, that Adam, as our representative, we are born with a sin nature, which we'll talk about next time. But we also willfully choose to sin. And that sin is what separates us and what uh, makes God seem almost foreign to us. We can't quite wrap our, our mental capacity around the fact that God is pure, that he is not defiled, that he is not going to change because he does not need to change. He is who he is. 
But those are the kinds of thoughts, those are the, the lofty thoughts that we as believers in Jesus Christ need to embrace. And it needs to speak truth into our lives each and every day as we live the Christian life. Because if we live as if God is only good or better than I am or better than someone else, then you've put God into a box and you don't see him for who he is. And when Isaiah came into the presence of God, guess what? There was no putting God into a box. Matter of fact, he saw God for who he uh, is. The one who helps Isaiah to see that woe is me for I am lost. So let's speak to the nature of holiness. Because I want you to understand a little bit more in relation to uh, what the Bible has to say in relation to the nature of holiness as to its extent. Okay? Uh, first is that God is absolutely, without exception, distinct from us. Because he is God. And because he is holy, holy, holy. And we stand before God as sinners that are unholy. First John 1 John 1.5 says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. That God is light and there in him there is no darkness at all. Because God is separate. Light, darkness. Complete opposites. And when the holiness of God, which is light, comes into contact with that which is dark and that is which is sinful, it, it shows it for what it is. It unravels all of the, uh, you know, uh, things that we do to, to, to kind of sugarcoat sin or to overlook or not to deal with because God's holiness literally shines a light in there and, and, and everything can be seen. Nothing can be hidden from God. Habakkuk 1.13 says, You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. See, God has a holy justice and a holy wrath and abhors sin. Because if he did not, if God was not holy, then he would be just like us. And the fact is, if we don't see our sin as God sees it, if we cannot see that there is no mixing of the two, that there cannot be any, you know, you know, just, uh, you know, a small taste. Well, you know, I'll just dabble in this a little bit. No, this is the God who is holy, holy, holy. And the thing is, as believers today, we need to be living like God is that. To live as God is the one who is holy and to really, truly embrace that holiness will help you see just how amazing grace is. You will never look at the cross the same again. Because you will see the holy, holy, holy Son of God dying on the cross. And you'll understand exactly why he had to die. So that you and I could have a holiness that we cannot even begin we're not even in the same universe because we are completely separate from God. Because God is light and we are darkness apart from God. So God is absolutely distinct from us, but he is also, uh, in relation to his holiness, God is holy in everything which characterizes who he is. 
And this will make sense in, in a few moments. But when you think about his holiness, think about everything that you know about God. Everything that's revealed to us in his word is seen through the light of his holiness. It characterizes who he is. In Exodus 15, 11, it says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? It's a rhetorical question. Is there anyone like our God? Uh, one person's convinced in here this morning. It's okay to answer. They, the answer to that question is no. No one is like our God. And that's what makes salvation so precious in Jesus Christ. And for us to see these things through God's eyes, to see that he is majestic. He is kingly. If you want to look to see what holiness is all about, you need not go any farther than God himself. Because he is the God who is Three times holy. Isaiah 57, 15 says this, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. He says, I dwell in high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Well, who are those that are going to be contrite and lowly in spirit? Is that man who is in his darkness, who is completely separate from that which is light, going to be contrite in heart, apart from God? The answer is no. And we'll find out next time that we are enemies of God. So apart from God doing something miraculous as the one who is majestic in holiness, intervening into that which is spiritually dead, we are without hope. We are stuck separate from God in darkness, content to be in rebellion against him. J.I. Packer says that the holiness of God points to the godness, in quotes, of God at every point. See, it's what separates God out from everything else. Because the only way that we can be holy before a God that is three times holy is if he does something to intervene in such a way that he gives us the holiness that we cannot manufacture, that we don't even have because we are separate from God. That's why Jesus had to come. And that's why God's sovereign plan of salvation, which was before the foundation of the world, was set into motion. So that he could give us what we could never, in a million years, even come close to doing. And that is to be perfect as he is perfect. To be holy as he is holy. We cannot do that apart from God. That's why Jesus had to come. See, God is holy in everything which characterizes who he is. So think of it this way. This list is not exhaustive. But God is holy in his self-existence. God is holy in his transcendence. God is holy in his eternalness. God is holy in his omnipotence. He is holy in his immutability. He is holy in his omniscience. He is holy in his wisdom. He is holy in his sovereignty. He is holy in his faithfulness. He is holy in his love. You getting the picture? God's holy. In his infinitude, his immensity, his goodness, his justice, his mercy, his grace, his omnipresence, his imminence, uh, his perfection, his patience, his wrath, his gentleness, his kindness, his hatred, uh, his jealousy, 
his forgiveness and truth. And yes, God does have a holy hatred of sin. And yes, God does have a holy wrath against sin because if you want to know and to see that that is true, look to the cross. That's the extent of the nature of God's holiness. Well, what, let's look at it through the lens of his uh, it being ethical uh, because uh, the nature of God's holiness is that God is absolutely separate from moral evil or sin. In other words, he has a majestic purity about himself. The God who is thrice holy. Job 34.10 says, Therefore hear me, you men of understanding, far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should do wrong. Far be it. In other words, it's not even in the scope of anything that God can do because God is separate from evil. He is separate from sin. By the definition of holiness itself, to cut or to separate, there's no mixing of the two. Because if God could mix the two, then Jesus did not need to come. If God could have just had a separate section in heaven where he existed and then another section in heaven where sinful men could exist and everyone could just have a place to go when they die that is better than the earth, then Jesus didn't need to die. But see, we know that that's not the truth. We know that Jesus came to die. See, God is absolutely separate from moral evil or sin. And there's a negative aspect to that, is the separation from sin. But there's also a positive aspect to that being separate, is that there is moral excellence and perfection in our majestic, majestically holy God. See, that's how you need to see God. And if you're, if you're not seeing God like that this morning, then you need to get a good dose of what Isaiah experienced. Because the world does not need to see other people that are like them. What the world needs to see is the holy, holy, holy God. Not only is he absolutely separate from uh, moral evil or sin, but uh, from an ethical nature, it reveals impurity and sinfulness. And we saw that in Isaiah 6.5. What was the effect of the holiness of God? What was the effect of the one who is absolutely separate from sin and evil in the life of Isaiah when he came into the presence of the Holy One? Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And see, that's really what happens when someone puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They, for the very first time in their lives, see the King of glory. To see God with their spiritual eyes, eyes that were dead in sin, that were blinded by the darkness that's what the holiness of God does. And what the holiness of God does that shows us how precious the blood of Jesus Christ is. Louis Burkhoff, in his systematic theology, defined ethical holiness like this. He says, this ethical holiness of God may be defined as that perfection of God in virtue of which he eternally wills 
and maintains his own moral excellence, abhors sin, and demands purity in his moral creatures. So in relation to God's ethical holiness, in relation to him being separate from sin, what it does is God from eternity past, because he is the God who is in eternity, the God who has no beginning, no end, will always be morally excellent. God cannot do wrong. God will not do wrong because he is holy. But that holiness also makes it so that he abhors sin. He abhors sin so much that his holy justice demands that penalty be paid by everyone who snubs their noses at his holiness. And some will go to the grave blaspheming God, hating him for all of eternity. But few, as we learn from the uh, Sermon on the Mount, find the way to understand the song Amazing Grace, to experience the mercy of God, to be able to, to know that I can be holy in Christ, the one through whom all spiritual blessings come. Because the, the first and most important spiritual blessing is, is that we have the holiness of Christ, that we are clothed in his righteousness so that we can be in the presence of the God who is thrice holy. And if that's not a miracle in itself, I don't know what a miracle is. But it's the wisdom and the power and the nature of God. But we, as we take a look at the scriptures, we can see uh, in our final moments together this morning that God's holiness is actually revealed in three areas that I'm going to share with you. The first is in relation to creation. And we already read verse 3 of of Isaiah chapter 6. You know, the seraphim, one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth reveals the holiness of God. By showing us that there is a consequence to sin. That the the creation itself groans out. Because of what we do in rebellion against God. Second is God's law. Romans 7.12 says that so the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So there's nothing wrong with God's law. It's perfect because it comes from the God who is perfect. It is thrice holy. And that law, what it does is it shows us who we are before the thrice holy God. Those in need of salvation. That we cannot save ourselves and only Jesus can. And third, God's holiness is revealed in his attitude toward good and evil. So you need to understand that God is not neutral. He is not off, you know, being good while the rest of the world is being evil. God is not neutral when it comes to this. So everything that you see that you know is evil because you know what the word of God says. Do not be deceived into thinking that God will not be the holy, just God and hold them accountable to that. He will. But as you're looking out of all those things that are unjust, take a look inward. Because that same God who is holy, just, will hold us accountable for every, as the scripture says, stray word that we use, 
for everything that we look at that we should not be looking at, for everything that we pour into our minds that is opposite to the God who is thrice holy. See, God takes delight in all that is true, worthy, and upright. And because he does, and because that is his nature, that he is pure, he cannot, and I repeat, he cannot tolerate sin. Because if God could tolerate sin, then Jesus did not need to die. If God could tolerate sin, then he would no longer be thrice holy. Because his holiness demands holiness. That's why when he said, be holy as I am holy, isn't an unachievable goal in and of ourselves. Only Christ can give us that. But see, his holiness dictates, his holiness demands that everything around him be holy. So that's why he will hold everyone accountable. But God loves righteousness and justice. Psalm 33 verse 5 says, He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. See, God loves righteousness and justice because he is wholly righteous and he is wholly just. He is perfect in those things. And if someone is perfect in those things, everything that they do, everything that defines it, everything that ends up being executed out through that is perfect. It is holy. And so, therefore, his righteousness is holy and so is his justice. And so is his steadfast love, which we know goes from generation to generation. He also creates a holy people for himself. First Peter 2, 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's who you are in Christ, experiencing every spiritual blessing from heavenly places. Their source is in God. And there's a reason for that. So you're, you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ for a reason. Not just to, you know, save you from the pit of hell. The verse goes on to say that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. To bring you into the presence of the thrice holy God through the thrice holy son of God who gave his life as a ransom for sin. To be that once for all sacrifice. But because God is all those things as well, he hates those who worship other false gods. And before you jump and think, well, is it possible for God to hate? Yes. But it's a holy hatred. Because everything that is sinful is against God. It declares war against God. And therefore, he can have a holy hatred against those who declare war on him. And not sin in the process. Because his holiness reveals all of that. Jeremiah 44, 4-6 through 6 says, Yet I persistently sent to you all my servants, the prophets. So in other words, through Jeremiah, the prophet... God is speaking to his people saying, you know what? I've sent the news. I've, I've sent the guys to, you know, to declare to you my truth for you to not give yourself over to other sinful gods, but to worship the one true God. He says there in um, verse uh, four at the end, oh, do not do this abomination that I hate. What is the abomination that God hates? Sin. 
because he is thrice holy. But they did not listen or incline their ear to turn from their evil and make no offerings to other gods. We know this this uh, verse, which was penned by uh, Jeremiah through the eternal God, who is thrice holy, speaks truth into our world today. Because we live in a day and age where people do not listen, where they do not incline their ear, where they will not turn from their evil ways, uh, but instead will make offerings to all kinds of other gods. And what does that look like? That looks like me declaring that my lifestyle and how I want to live is my choice. That it's my body, my choice, and therefore I can you know, declare that I am God and can take life. Because as you look at everything that happens in our, our world today, everything that should churn your stomach, that should you know, cause your mind to start racing, because you begin to have the same uh, you know, view of the world as God does, and having a holy hatred on everything that is contrary to who he is in his purity, that it should bring us to the point of seeing that we need to make sure that we don't do the same thing. That we are listening to the God who is thrice holy. That we are opening our ears to hear his truth and not allowing the culture or even our own self-serving desires to uh, be above the God who is thrice holy. To make sure that we are turning from evil and that we are not elevating some God or some desire or some course of action that we want that God calls sin. Because this is what will happen. Verse 6, therefore, because all of this is happening, therefore, my wrath and my anger were poured out and kindled in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, and they became a waste and a desolation as at this day. Because the thrice holy God cannot look upon sin without his holy justice and his holy wrath and the fact that he abhors sin. And because he is all those things in purity and perfection and holiness that he has to answer, he has to keep accountable because the moment he ceases to do that, he ceases to be God. The one who is separate from us, but yet through his son, Jesus Christ, provides a way so that we can have fellowship with him. Experience forgiveness and to understand with a clear mind, heart, and soul what it means that the, when the scriptures say that there's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, verse 1. Because that's a glorious proclamation. But only someone who understands and sees the thrice holy God can appreciate that. And see, for us to understand today, church family, God's sovereign plan of salvation, this is the starting point. Because if we do not see God as he is, as the thrice holy God, then we will get salvation messed up. Because we will make salvation something that it's not. Man will make salvation more about him than about the thrice holy God who demands that we be holy as he is holy. And will minimize Christ's blood on the cross to make it something that it's not. Or to think that it wasn't really all that much of a big deal. And live our lives as if it doesn't have a profound eternal effect, even on us today in time. Because it does. And next time, as we balance out this, you know, if you want to call it a a biblical equation, I might be stretching here. 
But God's holiness shows us to be sinful. And so we're going to look at original sin. We're going to look at what the Bible says man's condition is before this thrice holy God for us to understand why Jesus Christ had to come. To bridge that gap, to remove that separation, to take us from the kingdom of darkness, transferring us to the kingdom of light. To be holy as God is holy, all because of Christ in us. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Father, I must confess that sometimes I do not see you as thrice holy. Sometimes I don't even see you as holy. Lord, I pray for each one here today, myself included, that we would begin to see you for who you are. To not minimize you, to not put you in a box, to not, you know, belittle the God who is holy, holy, holy. The God who continues to sustain all of life, both seen and unseen, by your almighty power, which is also holy. So you don't even use that power in a wrong way. You always use it in perfection. And Lord, we're thankful that we have your word today, that we can understand your plan of salvation uh, because we know that you are holy and that we know that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And that by, by your amazing grace and by your mercy, we can see you as you are. And one day be with you because of your son, Jesus Christ, and him alone. We pray these things in his name. Amen.